pray. That is our prayer today, O God. Hosanna. Help us, Lord, we pray. Help us as we make this journey through Holy Week and into Easter. That in response to loveless power, you might show us the power of love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. When it comes to reading and studying the Bible, one of the most common questions that I have asked, and one of the most common questions people have asked me is this, what are we supposed to do with all the violence in the Bible? There's so much bloodshed in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. Violence, after all, was often used as a way for people to show how faithful they were to God. Just think about all of the giant names in the Bible. Moses, perhaps no greater figure in the Old Testament than Moses. He was faithful in his leadership, and as a result, Pharaoh's entire army was killed in an act of violence, drowning in the Red Sea. You look at David, who was the greatest king in all of Israelite history. He showed he was faithful by killing that giant with a sling. And under his leadership as the king, tens of thousands of people were killed. Even Elijah, my favorite Old Testament character, he used violence too. On Mount Carmel, in that showdown with the prophets of the false god Baal, fire rained down and killed all of those false prophets. I know that the season premiere of Game of Thrones is tonight, but if you want something even more violent than Game of Thrones, just read your Bible. Judges, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, that HBO show has nothing on what you find in there. You know, the deeper question for us this morning is this, what is our relationship to violence supposed to be? What is the Christian biblical relationship between faithfulness on the one hand and violence on the other? Do we have to commit violence to show how faithful we are today? Is there ever an instance where violence can be redemptive and permissible in the eyes of God? On this last Sunday of our Get Unstuck series, and on this Palm Sunday where we begin that journey through Holy Week, it is altogether appropriate for us to ask this final and perhaps toughest question of them all. How do we get unstuck from our addiction to violence? And is that really what God is calling us to do? I mean, let's just admit this up front. This is a really tough question. It's really hard to answer. I mean, it's one thing to approach it in sort of general, abstract, philosophical terms, but when you make it personal, when this question becomes downright practical in our everyday experience, it becomes even tougher. Because we have seen times when a person punches back at a bully and then the bullying stops. We have seen times when we've used military force against brutalities committed in other countries under a tyrannical dictator, and the brutalities have stopped. We even see it in the DNA of our own country, 
as this nation was founded in an act of violent rebellion against a tyrannical ruler. But is violence always permissible and redemptive in the eyes of God? That's the tough question. That is the tough question. And I'd like for us to hold on to that question and put it on like a pair of glasses, to use it as a, as a filter or a lens as we take a look at this Scripture for today that our children have so beautifully rendered for us from Luke's Gospel. You'll notice it's a conversation between Jesus and Pilate, two of the the great figures in the gospel story, two larger-than-life figures. And Luke gives us sort of a fly-on-the-wall report of what's going on between these two people. And as it turns out, what's happening in this conversation is a dialogue between peace and violence. On the violence side, the person representing the violent side, of course, is Pontius Pilate. He is the epitome of the Roman Empire. It's an empire that used violence all throughout its rise to power. It conquered its enemies through violence. It maintained peace by subjugating threats through violence. In fact, that famous phrase, the Pax Romana, or Roman peace, was was a, a way that the Roman Empire used to preemptively determine whatever the threats were to Roman peace and then to squench, squelch it down by killing it before it could even develop. All throughout Roman history, they used violence to maintain peace. It's even in the biblical history as well. Decades before Jesus was even born, there was a Roman emperor named Antiochus Epiphanes. And when he detected the Jewish people rising up in rebellion, he killed them. It's what Herod did when Jesus was born. You remember when when Herod found out that Jesus was born, he perceived Jesus to be a threat, and so he responded by massacring innocent children. And it's what Pilate himself did when he killed those innocent worshipers earlier in John's gospel. In Pilate's mind, the only way to peace, the only way to power is through violence. And then you compound that with the fact that outside of Pilate's hallway were some Jewish religious officials. They were waiting out in the courtyard. They were the ones who brought Jesus to Pilate to begin with. They didn't get what they wanted from their religious official, Caiaphas the high priest, and so they dragged Jesus in front of Pilate hoping that Pilate would sentence him to death. So you have a tag team match going on here against Jesus. You have Pilate and the Jewish religious officials. You have Pilate, who believed that violence produces peace, and you have the Jews, who believe that violence demonstrates faithfulness. Jesus was being double-teamed. So it should be no wonder to us that the very first words out of Pilate's mouth were these words, a question that, they, that he asked Jesus, are you the king of of the Jews. You know what Pilate was really asking him there? Pilate was asking Jesus, are you a threat to Roman peace? Because if you are, that means you're here to commit violence. And if that's why you're here, then the only response to the violence that you pose is violence against you. 
Are you a king of the Jews, Jesus? Is that why you're here? Are you going to pick up a sword? Are you going to raise up an army? Are you threat? Are you a threat to Roman rule? Are you a threat to Caesar? Because if you are, then we have no other choice but to strike you down here and now. But notice what Jesus said. He did not say no. He did not say yes. Instead, he said three words. You say so. You say so. In other words, Pilate, that's the way you see it. Through your filter, Pilate, through your lens, through the glasses that you have put on, you see only two kinds of people, threats or non-threats, people that are trying to overthrow you with violence or people that you can strike down through violence. That's your perspective, Pilate. And with that lens, I can be only one of two different kinds of people. But Pilate, let me ask you this, what if I'm neither? What if I don't fit into either of those boxes? What if the lens that I'm bringing is entirely different from yours? What if the world that I'm here to establish is not one based on the power of violence? It is not one in which peace is acquired through violence. It is not one in which faithfulness is demonstrated through violence. What if I'm here to show you a different kind of way? That's what Jesus said in response with those three little words. You say so. And Pilate had no idea what to make of that. He had no idea what to make of Jesus. He didn't know what to do with the possibility that there might be a different kind of way to resolve conflict, to promote peace, to prove faithfulness. And so he tried to wash his hands of him. He went to those religious officials and he said in Luke's gospel, hey, I don't know what to do with this guy. Well, you know how the rest of the story unfolded. You heard and saw it in the scripture reading. By the end of the story, the people convinced Pilate to stay on that course, to keep those glasses on, to maintain that filter, to keep going on that cycle of that pathway of violence that has plagued the human condition since the beginning of time. And so he sentenced Jesus to death. And so the only response left in the story would be this. What would Jesus choose to do? What would the response of Jesus be? And you know that Jesus responded not by picking up a sword, not by raising an army, not to filming an episode of Game of Thrones against Rome, not by responding with violence, but by subjecting himself to violence in order to redeem violence, subjecting himself to violence in order to put an end once and for all to that cycle of violence. That's what the cross did. I have a friend named Mike McCarg. He's also known as Science Mike. He's a co-host of a popular Christian podcast called The Liturgists, and I love the way he frames this idea. This is what Science Mike said. The cross was not God's invention. It was ours. In all our need for an eye for an eye, I have to wonder sometimes if God listened to us cry for blood and offered his own. 
if Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was not to sate, not to satisfy God's wrath, but to show God's response to ours. I love that quote. Do you know why? Because since the beginning of time, since Cain and Abel and all throughout time, humans have had this idea that peacemaking is a zero-sum game, that if you want peace, you have to have war. And if you have war, then someone has to lose in order for someone to win. Someone has to die in order for someone to live. Someone has to pay the price. Someone has to be the eye for the eye. Someone has to be the tooth for the tooth. And there's been this endless escalation of violence all throughout human history. And that was the worldview of Pilate. That was the worldview of the Hebrew people. It is a worldview that still plagues us as a human community today. But the cross enters the picture and not only challenges that assumption, it obliterates it. Because instead of Jesus seeking an eye for an eye, he became the eye. Instead of Jesus seeking the tooth for the tooth, he became the one tooth, the one scapegoat that took upon himself all of the wrath of the human condition and assumed all the violence of human beings into himself so that violence once and for all did not need to happen. The cross did not continue the cycle of violence. It put an end to it. Jesus did not save us with an act of violence. He saved us from the need for violence. And so now we have the option to pursue peace in a new kind of way through nonviolence, through self-sacrifice, and through love so that we don't have to be caught in that cycle anymore. You know, by the way, now the Bible doesn't say much about Pilate after this episode, but Christian tradition does. There's a certain part of Christian tradition recorded in something called the Gospel of Nicodemus, and there's an interesting story in that Gospel of Nicodemus about Pilate. It says that after Jesus rose from the tomb, after the resurrection, word of it began to circulate among the Jewish officials. And eventually, word got to Pilate. And according to this obscure part of Christian history, Pilate then called a closed-door secret meeting with those Jewish officials where they disclosed to him what they'd experienced in the resurrection. And then Pilate did an extraordinary thing. He wrote a letter to the emperor Claudius. And in that official government correspondence, Pilate acknowledges the resurrection to the emperor. Had Pilate become convinced of the resurrection himself? Is it possible that the way Pilate himself was saved was not through an act of violence by Jesus, but an act of redemption and self-sacrifice by Jesus. We'll never know for sure whether that obscure little nugget of history is true, but you know it does prompt the possibility that there is actually hope for you and me, that there may be the possibility of a different set of glasses that we can put on. Because you know, 
this pathway to peace, this nonviolence really does go against our grain. We really do want to punch the bullies back. We really want to wage war against the tyrants. We really want to repay eyes for eyes and teeth for teeth. But as we walk through Holy Week, as we experience Maundy Thursday and Good Friday, I invite you to remember something. Jesus never punched back. You can look for it in the Bible. It's not there. Jesus never picked up a sword. He never raised an army. He never resorted to violence in order to repay violence. Instead, He became the repayment. He became the satisfaction of violence. He took all the violence into Himself, and then He redeemed it so that we don't have to use violence anymore. You can get unstuck. I know it's hard to believe. You can get unstuck from your violent instincts, from your need for revenge, from whatever barrier is preventing you from forgiveness or compassion. You can do it because of what Jesus did. In whatever forms you are stuck today, follow the model that Jesus has set for you and be free. Let's pray together. God, we acknowledge to you how difficult this work is. Our instinct is to fight back. It is to resort to violence in our work with other people. But God, we know that your power is great, and we know that the cross has come not to perpetuate violence, but to bring it to an end. We thank you for the model of Jesus who shows us a new kind of way. God, in this sanctuary right now and watching online, there are so many stories from all of us of people with whom we have had broken relationships and instincts to fight back, to bite back, to punch back, to hurt the other person. We lift this all up to you, knowing you've seen it all before. You know firsthand what the human condition is like. And through the cross, you have come to save us from it. Bless us in our interactions. Show us today and in days to come and for the rest of our lives the tangible ways that we can be peacemakers with people with whom we are in conflict through love, not through violence, through selflessness, not through power. Bless us in this journey all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And let all God's people say, amen. And so in response to this compelling and challenging word from God, we invite you to offer your own commitments through your prayers, through your joys and concerns on your prayer cards, and through the gifts of your hands and the tithes and offerings as we wait upon you and the ushers come forward.